The way I see it, the first job of my administration is to put people back to work and get our economy moving again. Hi, and welcome to a special edition of NPR's Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum in Washington, D.C. And in New York, I'm Laura Conaway. We are posting this podcast on Monday, January 19th, but we're recording it ahead of time because of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. In this show, we want to consider the situation for Barack Obama, of course, because the inauguration is Tuesday, January 20th. And we'll get to that in a second. But first, our indicator for today is $41 billion. That is part of the $825 billion stimulus package being drawn up by House Democrats. And it's the amount they say should be given to school districts serving poor and disabled students. And it's also for school construction. And we just have to say we have no idea what that number means. I don't know if it works out to two teachers per school and new windows, basketballs, new air for the basketballs. I really have no idea. Right. So we are going to be taking an in-depth look at some parts of the stimulus package, and we want your guidance. What parts do you want us to dig into? Check it out. We'll post the stimulus package documents on our blog, npr.org slash money. And every, we'll start by sketching out some of the areas that are being proposed in the House right now. There's uh, $54 billion for uh, a smarter electrical grid and for renewable energy. $6 billion to bring the Internet to rural areas. Anyway, take a look and let us know. You can also email us at planetmoney at npr.org. And we're going to do our best. In all of this, we keep hearing that President-elect Obama has been studying Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who famously took office right in the middle of the Great Depression. So as President Obama begins his first 100 days, we thought... It would make sense to look back at FDR's first 100 days. And who better to talk to about that than Eric Rauschway? He's an economic historian. He's the author of The Great Depression and the New Deal, a very short introduction. Uh, Rauschway gave our colleagues Adam Davidson and Alex Bloomberg a very short introduction to the opening measures of Roosevelt's presidency. So Roosevelt comes in. The first thing is, let's save the banks, because the banks are in deep, dire straits. 5,000 bank failures over the past, uh, you know, four years, and they've begun to accelerate recently. So the first thing they do is to shut down the banks and to audit all of them and then to reopen those that are determined to be sound. And this is pretty amazing. It was a week that they shut them down? Well, it was roughly a week. Moley will later say, Raymond Moley, Roosevelt's principal advisor in this crisis, will later say capitalism was saved in eight days. So let's say eight days. Okay. So no Um, banks are open. Whatever money you've got in your pocket is all the money you're going to have. Yeah, and people barter and people, uh, you know, the Dow company famously mints its own money out of magnesium for a little bit so its employees can have a trading medium and things like that. So there there are various resources. People near the borders use either Canadian or Mexican currencies, things like that. But basically, yeah, you can't go get your money. Wow. Um, Okay, and then – Bank holiday. Bank holiday. This is the bank holiday. Good, bad, did it work? Bank holiday, generally everybody thinks the bank holiday gets high marks, right? Because now you have the federal government seal of approval on these banks. When they are reopened, people come and they put their money back in them, which was the big problem is that people were taking their money out of the banks and there were runs on the banks. This is also the beginning uh, that lays the basis for the federal government standing behind your deposits. So it's the basis for the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Which doesn't exist yet in the first 100 days. It doesn't exist yet and it becomes a temporary measure and then is made permanent 
implement later in the New Deal. Yeah. So okay. that's 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 sort of the first thing. The first thing we do is let's save the banks, right? So that's number one. The second thing that's uh, sort of the next highest priority for the Roosevelt administration is to balance the budget, which is not what we would think of now, and I don't think anyone's really talking about now as a priority. But in those days, uh, especially with Roosevelt at the helm, this was regarded as a priority, as a measure of responsibility, that you were going to get your house in order. So they passed the Economy Act with Roosevelt's blessing to try to make sure that the federal government remained in the black. And that's day two, day three? Uh, yeah, day no, 10? No, actual no, actual no, days, I don't know. I can't, can't okay. do yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, but But this is the next, this probably would have been... in the afternoon, four Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this probably would have been the first bill had it not been for the banking crisis, right? It would have been the budget balancing bill, right? So. Okay, which, not a success. I mean, not seen as a helpful... Not seen as a helpful Not something thing. that we hope Obama, President-elect Obama will be doing. I don't think anybody's recommending it. To my knowledge, anyway, nobody very prominent is recommending it. Um, and indeed, you know, Roosevelt himself almost immediately fudges on this because they have the balanced budget, but then they also have the emergency budget, which is off the books of the balanced budget, where they do all of the sort of the New Dealy things that begin to provide people relief and things like that. Right. What's number three? Uh, number three, uh, you know, is the Agricultural Adjustments Act, I think you would have to point to as number three. This is, this is important to remember that this is a period where a very large number of Americans are still employed in farming. The crisis in farming actually begins well before what we think of as the Great Depression proper and really has been going on since World War I, more or less. Now, in a way, this is partly just growing pains. People are simply moving to cities and off the land, and farming is, as a sector, becoming less important to the American economy. It's also becoming much more mechanized, and so people are becoming what they call tractored out because the tractor comes in, there's fewer jobs, therefore, for hands, uh, also for mules, as it happens in uh, the uh, American economy. But partly it's a result of, you know, sort of some, to some extent environmental despoliation because you're going to get your dust bowl here. And so you need to do something to prop up farm prices and to make farmers whole. And the Agricultural Adjustment Act picks up a bunch of ideas that have been floating around really since the 1890s to try to help farmers. And they want to give farmers the equivalent of the protective tariff which has been long the way that America subsidized manufacturers uh, for the farm sector. And the way they do this is they levy a tax on production of commodities and then they pay it back to farmers to not produce crops. Oh, this is where we get that idea. Uh, you get the beginning of the, yeah, it goes through several permutations before you get the system we have now. But this is, broadly speaking, the beginning of that idea. And so you're going to limit production that's going to push up prices and farmers will be happier. Now, I, I, I do know that I would say the vast majority of economists think that after World War II, this should have been eliminated and farming subsidies are a, you know, I think most economists would use something like national disgrace and absurdity. Um, In fairness, we're not alone. Other countries have their own disgraceful agricultural policies. But yes. Right, right. But in the context of the Great Depression, was it a national disgrace then or was it helpful? Oh, and by the way, you can send those angry letters to Planet Money at NPR.org. The, you know, national disgrace is probably a bit strong, but it's it's not a real success, obviously, either. I mean, in in the midst of people actually going hungry, you are destroying the means to feed them. Infamously, there is the slaughter of the little piglets, right? Because they're getting rid of the uh, shoats, I think they are, right? The pigs that have just been born. So they make sure that there's a scarcity of, of... of, of, of pigs later, and, and the pig farmers will be doing so better. So in a country so, where more than half of people are not working in agriculture, you're doing a policy that helps that minority that works in agriculture and hurting that majority that works out of agriculture. And needs to eat what the agricultural people are making. Right. Yeah. So the farmers love it. Everybody else, not quite so much. Yeah. So the big things I think of in the Great Depression, Works Progress Administration, um, 
Tennessee Valley Authority, uh, the massive, massive increase in the size and scope of the government. Is that first 100 days or is that the all TBA, late? The TBA, the Tennessee Valley Authority, is the first 100 days. The Works Progress Administration is 35. That's later. You can claim that the roots of it are planted in the first 100 days. So let me quickly talk about those things. The TBA is really uh, vital in many ways to understanding the New Deal. It's a broadly speaking, a regional authority that's supposed to do flood control and provide electricity through one of the most chronically impoverished parts of the South. But it also has mandates to basically economically develop that chronically impoverished part of the South in any way that they possibly can. And so this not only means electricity, this means watershed management, this means reforestation, this means trying to prevent soil erosion, means developing new kinds of fertilizers that can be used for more efficient use of the soils. It means doing work through the agricultural colleges of the region and employing people directly to do all of these things. So it's a massive mobilization of scientists, of engineers, and of the uh, the, the people of the Tennessee Valley area. And it is broadly successful. Right? It, it, the Tennessee Valley area is much more prosperous after the TVA gets through with it than it ever was you know, leading up to the TVA. Uh, the, the big um, relief programs that will become so essential in the New Deal, particularly the Works Progress Administration, won't come till 1935. But the basis of it comes in the first 100 days. There's the Public Works Administration, uh, which is the really giant public works program, comes in, and the um, Federal Emergency Relief Administration, which is to try to employ unemployed people for short periods just to tide them over, comes in. And out of those, you can see growing the big public works programs uh, like the WPA. Also, to some extent, things like that will be made permanent in the Social Security Act are kind of foreshadowed in the FERA, the Emergency Relief Administration. In that first 100 days. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're using the federal government to give money to the states to give to the unemployed, which is roughly the structure that you're going to see erected in, 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 in Social Security. All right, so we're running out of time, but it sounds to me like between March 4th, 1933, and what is it, June 15th or whatever Your 100, 100 days, days yeah. are, um, we live in a fundamentally different country. The government's role in the economy is 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 forever changed. You've seen the government's role in the economy dramatically increased. Now, it's important to note that it won't be very long before it's actually reeled back, right? Some of the things that are done in the first 100 days are very quickly regarded as practical failures and slightly after that regarded as unconstitutional. Uh, Congress is so eager to solve the problems of the Great Depression that they cede Roosevelt more power than the Supreme Court will say is consistent with the Constitution. And so the Agricultural Adjustment Act will be struck down. The National Recovery Act will be struck down. And it will require the New Dealers to come up with different ways. Of, of doing the exact same Of thing. doing similar right. things. Yeah. yeah. And then just one last question. Any lessons? Should Obama do the exact same things in his first 100 days? Should he do none of those things? I, I don't think you will see or uh, the balanced budget uh, idea coming forward. I do think you will see more of the public works kinds of things and probably more enthusiastic devotion to public works than you actually saw in the first bit of the Roosevelt administration. Laura, it's, it'll be interesting to see if Eric Rashway's predictions come true. Yeah. Let's actually switch gears here for a second. Okay. Listeners have been asking to hear from people who are doing well. Because there are a lot of people who are not. We have 7.2% uh, unemployment. Uh, but that means most people still have jobs. Last week, I talked to one of the most employable people on the planet. His name is Nathan Fiala. He's 25. He's a mechanical engineer. He does environmental and energy work in North Dakota. Where, amazingly, the unemployment rate is just 3.3%. 
Nathan's lab at the University of North Dakota. He says jobs there go begging. Engineers there have to compete for grants. Nobody's guaranteed a salary. There's no automatic state funding. And still, the money keeps coming in. He says they get two new contracts a week. I just got one today. Uh, project manager won a $100,000 award for some mercury sampling. And, you know, I get some of those, you know, I get about two two or three a week. Uh, so we have a lot of money coming in here. And I think it's just uh, mostly because of uh, the attitude of the people that work here. They go out after the, the contract. So no, I, I don't get the sense that anybody here is worried about keeping a job at all. We read a lot back here on the East Coast where I work about North Dakota having trouble actually finding enough workers to fill all the jobs the state has right now. I think that's spot on. Exactly true. Uh, we have, uh, where I work, I just walked by the bulletin board downstairs and they've got, I think, two positions open. One for a research engineer starting out at 50000 And I see you know, help wanted signs pretty much every day. Uh, we've got a lot of work and not enough people to do it. So, are you, exactly right. Are you meeting new people moving into North Dakota yet for the work? Not really. Uh, you know, the only downside of working here is I think it was minus 24 degrees air temperature like the last three days in a row. So that's, you know, keeps the riffraff out, I guess. David, that's the view from Grand Forks, North Dakota, Land of Great Hope, and Nathan Fiala. Folks, we're going to try and bring you more voices from people and jobs that are doing well in this economy, so keep those stories coming. For now, that's a wrap. We'll be back podcasting on Wednesday. And on Tuesday, we'll be observing the presidential inauguration, of course, on the blog by taking apart the stimulus plan. Come help us at npr.org slash money. Because, you know, we need the help. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Laura Conaway. Thanks for listening. See, you, and know what you're thinking now.